everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We've come now to the end of our series in the book of Colossians called Jesus Underestimated. We've said that people underestimate who Jesus is, what he did, and what's possible in a life with him. It looks back at what happens when Jesus is back in the place he deserves in our lives. Today we're talking about what we need to reach people with the gospel. This week I read an article by Peggy DeNoyers. She's a psychiatric home health nurse and works with a lot of people who are hurt, angry, or searching for answers. She knows that Jesus is the answer for many of them. But when it came to telling them about him, she called herself the master of excuses. One of her clients was named Wanda. She'd fallen into chronic depression, left her job, stopped eating, and refused to leave her home. After a stint in a psychiatric ward, she was discharged, and Peggy was assigned to visit her weekly and attend to her care. Peggy continued to visit for six months, but kept putting off a conversation about Jesus. One day when she arrived at Wanda's home, the door was open, and there was no response when she knocked or called. As she went in, she found Wanda's lifeless body with a note in her hand. It read, Dear Peggy, I'm so sorry. I tried it your way, but I got tired. Please forgive me. I tried. I just couldn't do it. The note moved Peggy to prayer. She cried out, Lord Jesus, she tried my way. I gave her the best that I had, but it was my way. I didn't tell her about you. I didn't tell her about your way. Alone before God, she resolved not to pass up another opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. It's easy to relate to Peggy, I think. We can all give reasons why we don't tell more people about Jesus, but the opportunities are there. And we live with a realization that eventually time will run out. The problem is, most of us started off enthusiastically sharing the good news about Jesus. But it robs your enthusiasm a little when people don't share your excitement. Today's passage gives three keys to effectively reach people with the gospel. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. If you don't have your own Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Colossians 4, starting at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God. And the first key to effectively reach people with the gospel is persistent prayer. Without God's power, we're just spinning our wheels. We need persistent prayer to reach people with the gospel. Now, verse 2 gives us the attitude that we should bring to prayer. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We're told to continue in prayer because we'll probably be tempted to give up. We're urged to be steadfast because the answers might not come as quickly as we'd like. Watchfulness is often connected with prayer in the New Testament. And the idea is that we need to open our eyes when we pray. Not necessarily while we're praying, but we need to keep our eyes open to what's happening in the world, what God is doing around us, 
and how he might be answering our prayers or calling for our cooperation. We're not surprised to hear the word thanksgiving in connection with prayer here, because he's already brought up gratitude four times in this letter. If we're just asking and asking and asking every time we come to God without ever stopping to recognize what God has done and how good he is, then our prayers can just turn into complaints. And it's easy to do that when you become fixated on a particular prayer request. God wants us to be persistent, but also to be grateful because we've already received more than we could possibly deserve. In verse three, he moves from the attitude of prayer to the content of prayer. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. <laughs> now, if you were in prison, what kind of door would you be praying for God to open? Your prison door, right? Paul's praying for a door for the word to get out instead. In fact, he's waiting until the last few verses of the letter to even mention the fact that he's in chains. If we're going to reach people for Christ, we need to feel that same urgency. People's salvation has to matter to us more than next month's movie schedule. We need to care more about lost people around us than we do about our own frustrations and limitations. We need to put our witness at the top of our prayer list. And we don't just pray for other people. Pray for your part, too. In verse 4, Paul prays this about the gospel. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That's an amazing prayer request from Paul, because Paul was trained from a young age as a rabbi. Whenever he appears in the book of Acts, he's preaching to synagogues, churches, and crowds. And when you read his letters, he's obviously extremely articulate. If he needed divine help to be clear with the gospel, then we probably do too. We need help being clear because often we assume people understand things that they don't. And sometimes we explain things that are unnecessary. Sometimes we need help to avoid saying too little. Other times we need help to not say too much. Pray for God's part in reaching people for Jesus. And then pray for your part too. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always had the image of Martin Luther speaking at important councils and writing weighty treatises. So I was surprised to read this week that he had a dog. For some reason, I just can't picture Luther playing fetch in the backyard. Then I learned that his dog was a Pomeranian, which to me is kind of like a cat. Definitely not the image that I had of the man. Anyway, when Luther would sit down to eat, his dog would sit at his side with his mouth open and his eyes fixed on him. Luther said, Oh, if I could only pray the way this dog watches the meat. All his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with other thoughts, other wishes, and other hopes, but I do appreciate the focus. If we're going to reach people for Christ, we're not going to do it without God's help. We need the urgency to pray for people who don't know Jesus and pray for our witness to them. So we need persistent prayer to reach people. We also need consistent living to reach people with the gospel. People need to hear the gospel to be saved, but if our lives are screaming something other than good news, people will never hear the message we share with them. We need consistent living to reach people with the gospel. 
Now, when Paul deals with the topic of relating to the world around us and becoming effective in sharing our faith in this letter, notice that he gives us two sentences about prayer, one sentence about how to live, and then one sentence about how to speak. That's not a bad ratio for how we ought to focus. And it's worth noting that he talks about how we live before he gets to how we speak. Verse 5 speaks of the kind of lifestyle needed to reach people. It just says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Now, walk in wisdom is a phrase that takes us back to the wisdom of the Old Testament books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. The Bible gives us principles and patterns that help us navigate life in a lost world with maturity and discernment. And when we don't take time to learn from them, we can make foolish choices that are so distracting to the people around us, they don't care to listen to what we say. Marshall McLuhan famously said, the medium is the message. And his words are a reminder that our lives have preached their own sermon before we ever open our mouths. If our lives are screaming foolish, people aren't going to listen when we try to share the wisdom of God. There needs to be consistency between the life and the message. And I'm not talking about perfection, but consistency. But notice how Paul balances out the call to wisdom with an appeal to urgency. The end of verse 5 says, making the best use of the time. It's a reminder that time is running out. None of us knows how long we have. We don't know how long the people around us have. Peggy didn't know how long Nuna had. And so while we need to be wise and sometimes sensitive, careful about how we approach things, we also need to remember each conversation could be our last. The Bible keeps reminding us time is short, eternity is forever. Don't keep putting off conversations you'll regret not having. Don't come to the end of your life realizing you never made the effort to reach others with the gospel. Make the time for people who don't know Christ. Create opportunities to make him known. So we've said that reaching people with the gospel involves how we pray, how we live, and finally, how we speak. We've talked about persistent prayer and consistent living. Let's now look at our words. We need grace-filled words to reach people with the gospel. Verse 6 begins, let your speech always be gracious. About half of the English translations say gracious, and the other half with grace, or something with focus on that word grace. The original language allows for either. But the idea is, when we speak, our language should always be marked by the fact that we're people who have been given divine grace. We received a gift that we didn't deserve. And because we're grace receivers, God is turning us into grace givers. So we give grace in our conversations. That means we speak about people who have wronged us graciously. We speak about ourselves with a recognition of who we would be apart from God's grace. And we try to make our words a gift to those who hear them. Not just when we're sharing the gospel. It says always. People should feel grace when they speak to us. There should be a patient, merciful tone to our words. We're trying to give in a world that's about getting. And the idea is, when all of our conversations have that tone to them, then when we actually share the gospel, there's an anticipation of it. I'll read the whole verse now. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We've dealt with the grace part of, the, of our speech. Next, it says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. Now, they used to say that salt was a preservative, which it was. But then they'd say, seasoning our conversations with salt must mean add in some words that'll save the person that you're speaking to. And that's not a bad idea. But that's probably not what Paul intended. The scholars today point to a common Greek idiom in the first century. Seasoning your words with salt was a way of saying, choose words that are winsome and attractive. Like the salt on a good potato chip can just make your mouth water. We need to show people what's so good about the good news. It's a little bit like what Blaise Pascal said about sharing your faith. He wrote this in 1670, but it could easily have been written today. When he uses the term religion, he's speaking about the true Christian faith. But he says this, Men scorn religion. They hate it and fear that it may be true. To remedy this, it is necessary to begin by showing that religion is not contrary, contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence, so as to inspire respect for it. Next, he says, we must make it lovely, so that the good may wish that it might be true, and then show that it is true. Now, he's not talking about changing the doctrines people don't like the way many people are tempted to do today. He's talked about showing how attractive the gospel is. Make people wish that it might be true and then show them that it is. We need to season our words with salt. We need to create an appetite for the gospel that makes people's mouth water like when they see a bag of chips. That means we listen to see where they might feel the need of the gospel instead of just telling them that they need it. It means that we show how God's grace meets their longings for it. It means we not only show people that God is true, but that God is good. That's what Jesus did. He rebuked the Pharisees when he had to, and he answered the tough questions of people who wanted to debate him. But no one ever calls Jesus argumentative. Why is it that so many Christians are? Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone. So we're not talking about toning down the message. But he told people their lives would be full and abundant if they received his word. He compared what God wanted to do in people's lives to hidden treasure and a priceless pearl. He compared God to a shepherd who searches for lost sheep. He compared him to a king who forgave the impossible debts of his subjects and to a father who welcomed home a son who had disgraced and humiliated him. There are parts of the message that are hard and that people struggle with. We need to remember how good the good news is, and our words need to express that goodness. Too often, I fear, we serve up the gospel or talk about our faith like a person who serves soup without seasoning, muffins without eggs, or cookies without sugar. The form might be there, there's no taste. We could probably all count at least 10 non-Christians that God has given us some kind of relationship with. Maybe you've taken those relationships for granted. Why not put them at the top of your prayer list? Follow Paul, Paul's example and put your personal struggles and frustrations in second place behind the people God has placed you to reach. Pray, pray about God's part in reaching them. 
but also pray about your part. As you pray, ask yourself, if my life is a big part of the message, is my life getting in the way? What message are they taking away from the way I live? Am I easily irritated or patient with the people around me? Do I make wise decisions and earn the trust of the people who know me? And as you do, consider your words. Are they always full of grace? Do I speak graciously about people? Do I speak graciously about people's faults? And when I speak about my faith, is it like soup without the seasoning? Or do I whet people's appetite for Jesus? How good is my good news? Speak in such a way that even people who reject it think to themselves, I wish it were true. And then show them that it is. Let's ask God for help to do that. Heavenly Father, any of us who have tasted of your goodness, who have the hope of eternity, the hope of your salvation, because Jesus has come into our lives and we've received him through faith. Any of us who have experienced that, Father, long for people around us to come to know that same salvation, come to know that same relationship and peace that's possible with you through faith in Jesus Christ. So help us, Father. Help us to put those people that you have laid on our hearts at the top of our prayer lists. Help us to be faithful in lifting them up before you. And help us to pray about our witness, our, our part in what you're seeking to do in drawing them to yourself. We pray also, Father, for our lives. Give us wisdom. Give us care and discernment in the way that we relate to the world around us. Help us not to be a needless distraction. Help us not to get in the way of what you're seeking to do. And Father, when we open our mouths, not just to share the gospel, but when we speak, help us to remember that we do so in your name, that we represent you with our words, and so they need to be words full of grace. Help us to season them with salt, to speak graciously, and to make our good, our, our good news truly good, to adorn the gospel, and to bring glory to Jesus Christ. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you to see how persistent prayer, consistent living, and grace-filled words can help us reach people with the gospel. If today's talk has stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time. Thank you.